The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hey guys, what's going on? We're uh, here at the Remembrancer's Retreat. We're going to be going over a uh, event we had this weekend up in Maryland. So, uh, Ryan, you want to take it away with uh, what you've been up to recently? Yeah, so this week has been a little bit hectic. Um, main project that I was working on is I've started to put together all of my uh, word bearers for the strike team uh, event at Nova. I've been doing custom bases and playing around with those. I've built out all my dudes. Uh, they'll get primed later next week. So that's been fun. Um, I have been planning a new charity army that uh, I'll be putting details out over the next couple months. So I spent some time uh, working on resourcing for that. And then I was uh, putting together finishing touches and just doing generic uh, event prep for the event we ran on Saturday. Awesome, man. Yeah, I saw you had uh, roto cannons in your strike team. I dig it. Uh, yeah, because nothing says narrative and fluffy like roto cannons. Yeah, did I ever tell you the story of like one of the first units I ever bought in Horse Heresy? No, 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 no. All right, so when I first got into the Heresy, I bought the, um, what was it? It was like the uh, Iron Hand Start or, or Strike Force, which came with an Iron Father, and 20 Mark III Marines, 10 of which were the special Iron Hand cast, and that was like my first Forge World buy. That, those 20 Marines, the Iron Father, and a Sikorin, and that was my first like jump into Forge World and uh, Horse Heresy. That's, that's solid. I thought so, right? Uh, and then I also bought another five uh, Mark III Marines by themselves, and I was like, I'm going to get the coolest little guns for them that I can find on the on Forge World. So I found Roto Cannons, and man, they were like they were like Gatling guns for all the dudes. I was like, oh man, this is like amazing. I'm totally going to get this. Now keep in mind, I hadn't had any rule books yet. This was all just based on what looked the coolest to me. I didn't know what the Legion rules were going to be or anything like that. Um, so I got these roto cannons, put them all together, built and paint them. Then I finally ordered the rule book so I could start playing with these models I had built and paint, and found out just how underwhelming they were. And those poor little dudes have been in their case. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it comes down to rule of cool, right? And I think a lot of people fall into that. I personally like having them. I, in fact, in my two thousand point centurion. Uh, list for these word bearers i have a whole 10-man tactical support squad with rotor cannons just because uh they're gonna suck but they're gonna look cool doing it and see from my end i've got at least 10 uh, rotor cannons just for uh conversions for arl attacks i think between me and uh blood angels players laying down all those assault cannons on everything that's why uh, forge roll keeps cranking those kits out oh yeah i mean they look fantastic and they do fit uh you know for blood angels in particular using them as assault cannons is not not bad at all i have had some issues with the actual kit because the uh the connection between the gun and the backpack or the belt fed part is is kind of a pain in the ass um so i had a few issues but you know 
the first two guys are built. And, uh, I think they look cool. They'll look real cool. All right. Sorry about that. We'll have to edit that out. Everything you just said, Ryan. Okay, then. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Just... I'm kidding. We're fine. Um, yeah, so really cool. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about your event. Um, and I want to know just, like, everything you're willing to divulge about it, you know? Well, what were your hopes and your dreams? Did any of it come to fruition? Did you learn something? You know, we're going to go deep. This is going to be a deep dive episode, people, into Ryan's psyche. So hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. Uh, Jason, what have you been up to recently? I noticed your ah. Thousand Suns had grown in size exponentially since the last time I've seen it. Uh, you're not wrong. I've gotten used to just using that single assault squad with my uh, jump pack Praetor, who is uh, still a little infamous, uh, maybe even a little more so after this weekend. But uh, I was excited. Uh, this event uh, in Maryland definitely got me in the mood to push everything and get it done. And some of the, uh, like my squad of veterans had, a, let's see, a squad of eight veterans uh, that were weapon masters in a dread claw with an apothecary and a, a level two librarian uh, really pushed me to finish those guys, which they've been sitting around converted it in base coats for a good uh, month or so now. But uh, between that and uh, actually painted a fire raptor, my uh, black, red and gold scheme for the pavoni so yeah man that like, thing caught me off guard i did not know you were working on that at all i just because uh, and, and it's it caught me off so like whoa because i was looking at all the armies and i was like dude whose army is this this is like this looks just like jason's it is painted amazingly well <laughs> and then i looked well, and i was like holy shit that's the flexomancer like it is jason's army right that's uh apparently how everybody recognizes mine uh with him right up front with that uh eidolon model I had a half a dozen people ask me about that over the weekend. I counted, started keeping score. But uh, yeah, so I got all of those guys done, which was very entertaining as I, uh, you know, powered through them at 12 o'clock in the morning, a couple of nights. And uh, let's see. Oh, I also uh, finished my uh, Dreadclaw for it, too, for those vets to ride in. So uh, as we'll discuss later, all of that worked out pretty well. In uh, pretty much every game I went through, so I cannot complain. Uh, not gonna lie, too, I absolutely lucked out. Um, since it was a narrative event, uh, we rolled up warlord traits and psychic powers and whatnot, and just uh, one time at the start there, and just hung on to them for the rest of the game uh, or the rest of the day. And this was the uh, second time I've used my Pavoni veterans, and both times they've managed to roll uh, Iron Arm on a uh, Biomancy. For their one uh, psychic power. Solid nice. one, dude. That's awesome. Now, I wouldn't mind something like a warp speed or endurance or enfeeble, I think, is definitely uh, underappreciated. Just uh, not only are you wounding your opponents better, but also they're wounding you worse. And uh, it gives you, uh, oh, one big thing, it'll knock uh, power fists down from strength eight to strength six. So you can still get feel no pain, which is a huge deal. Yeah, I would argue that making them weaker is the... I mean, it's great that it makes you better, but I think I'm on board with making them weaker is almost arguably as good as making yourself better. Let me tell you about it, dude. Um, nothing is better than, like, strength and toughness for a custodian. They are so much easier to handle that way. Oh, man, I can imagine. But it was fun stuff, but we'll get into that later. What have you been working on, Will? Uh, well... 
so my main army for this event had already been built and painted, but uh, I started working on some Raven Guard. Uh, I've got uh, Tin Squad and Mordathan coming along, and they're uh, Dreadclaw. So uh, I actually woke up the night of the event, or the day of the event, at like 4.10 in the morning with like a tick in my ass, and I was like, I need to paint something right now. So I woke up and started like frantic, not frantically, but just getting like right into the painting booth, and I just started working away at the Raven Guard, which was crazy because it's not even like they were in the list. I ran a pure Iron Hands list. But I just really felt like I wanted to paint. I had a creativity bug, and I just had to go for it, right? So I was able to get uh, Squad of Mordathan nearly finished, um, even though I wasn't using them, but that was fun. And uh, the week before that, I actually built and painted my Strike Force, one of them, uh, just so we could start doing some test games. And, yeah, it was like 12 models. I painted them up in, uh, I think, two days. Maybe it, it probably was like maybe four or five hours in total. But, you know, that's the benefit of painting black. So most of the work's already done for you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, your iron hands look great. And as far as, you know, waking up and painting Raven Guard, you got to roll with it. If you're feeling motivated to paint, you got to... You can't shut that down. Yeah, same thing. Like I, I, you know, hear that about the gym. If you're feeling a tick, like oh man, I want to go for a run, <laughs> you really need to go for a run right when you feel it, not like when it's opportune time. But yeah. I wouldn't know about yeah. that. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, so it's been a pretty good hobby for me, man. I've been uh, cranking away at projects, and after this event, I am just 100% ready to start doing more. I'm like, I need to start. It's not that I need to add stuff, right? I have plenty of stuff in the closet. I'm just like, I need to crank through this and get it done, you know? Oh, that was another thing. I finished one of Jesse's nights. Uh, Baroness Jaya is now finished, so she can lead the uh, House Viridian into battle now. I saw that. That looks really, really good. I like a lot of the details you put on there. Yeah, like the uh, custode transfers work really well for them, uh, just because it's in line with the theme of them being knights that help custodes. But... uh, like the half-faced Aquilas that come on the custode transfer sheet fit perfectly on the Castigator's up-armored shoulder panels, and I didn't have to do any extra trimming, or because that was my concern. Was like, oh man, these are gonna be too big. I'm gonna have to cut some away. I don't like cutting decals because if you do it dry, you may cut them too small, uh, or if you do it wet, you may end up tearing the decal. But, man, they fit on perfectly without any cutting needed or anything like that, man. It was a fun project to get done. I'll say that. And I think it looks good, and I think Jesse's going to really enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and move right into the event. Ryan, you want to give us a rundown of what this event was? And then we can kind of move more into the narrative of the event. Yeah, sure. So this is... uh if you've been following before Maryland 30k, uh, kind of new running events. So this was our second event, um, creatively named Springtime Heresy because it's the spring, supposedly. Um, and we the wanted weather to do it was perfect spin. to spend all day inside gaming. Oh, you oh, know? it was. My wife I was, was super pissed. I know, right? They're they're like, why didn't we go? Because we went to King's Dominion today, and it was rainy and humid and like. She's like, we wasted that perfectly good day yesterday. No, no, you wasted it. I didn't. I I seized an opportunity and took it. Absolutely. Nothing better than being surrounded by 30 sweaty gamers on a hot day, on a sultry day. Mm, yummy. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Continue. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, we did a doubles event. 
Um, and we had pretty good showing. So we had 12 total teams show up for 24 people, six loyalists, six trader, uh, which I thought was pretty good for our first doubles. And um, it was interesting, actually, because I think about half of the event was made up by either Richmond 30K folks or Pennsylvania 30K folks. Um, yeah, that was going to be one of my comments was like, Maryland really is the perfect go-between and like pit stop for like many Nova events, man. Like you're in prime real estate right now. You get guys from Pennsylvania and guys from uh, Richmond down or up, I guess, yeah. geographically. Yeah, it, I think it worked out uh, really well. And it was actually, we'll get into it a little bit more as we talk about how the event progressed. But it was really interesting. You know, you, you play at Nova and that kind of gives you a really good idea for a lot of the East Coast metas. It's very East Coast centric. You do have people traveling out for Nova and everything. Um, but it's really cool to see kind of three separate and distinct uh, metas all kind of meeting up for a friendly event and just seeing what other people are running. Uh, there is definitely uh, some interesting stuff going on and some interesting matchups. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's so it was three rounds. Uh, we played three games, I should say. Uh, it was set in the narrative um, that we established in December for our first event. So it was a continuation of that narrative. Um, each of the games took about a two and a half hours. Uh, I was very pleased with, you know, the high level of the armies that showed up, uh, the players overall, uh, everybody showed up to be a cool dude and to roll dice and have fun. Um, yeah. so yeah, it was, it was really nice. I thought I would 100% agree, man. Um, so obviously painted armies, couple of them had a few unpainted uh, or not complete painted, but the, but they were like two, I think, out of the entire 26-player base. Um, and it was amazing to see like all the different quality of artists out there. So was, I mean, call it hobbying or whatever, but it's art, man. It's art, damn it. So these guys were outstanding artists. And some of the stuff they brought to the tables... Um, I can't remember his name, but he had Thousand Sons, Jason. I'm not sure if you saw him, but he had some Sekhmet, and he had done some sort of, like, kind shield on them. Dude, we had, like, a 15-minute conversation, and I'm going to have to go look up his name on the event page, because he was a pretty alright bro. Yeah, um, our second game was with him, and uh, yeah. I actually went and had dinner with him later that night. Him and a bunch of other, other Pennsylvania guys, but, uh, yeah, his... I love those kind shield ideas. It was, it was genius. I mean, you Did could he... use that on any Terminator, really. You know what I mean? To make it look like yeah. a prismatic invulnerability field going off. That was Ben. I think. Yeah, ben... But did he tell you the secret where he found him? That's the big deal. Absolutely not. It's a secret. Why? Why would he give away a secret? Well, uh, not to let the um, Warhammer-themed cat out of the bag, but it was pretty ingenious. Uh, he told me. Um, because I asked him uh, if he minded if I could go, I uh, like track him down and try some of those out. Uh, it's actually from a Halo themed Mega Bloks kit. Uh, those little uh, bubble fields, you know, that the Master oh, Chief. Oh man! And, yeah, That's and they're really awesome, cheap. dude. But yeah, they've got that little uh, hexagramic effect, and apparently he just got like a dozen of those and uh, pulled the little bubble fields out. And apparently now his kids got like a million Mega Bloks too, so it's a win-win. Yeah. It's a great family project. Nice. But uh, there was just so many awesome uh, modeling going on, dude. Like, all this. So there were, I think, three salamander armies. And all of them 
looked awesome. Now that was the first time I'd ever seen salamanders in the wild, by the way. I have never seen salamanders at Nova. Maybe that's because I wasn't looking hard enough. I'd never seen salamanders, definitely none at Richmond. And then to go to this doubles event and see three of them at once, man, it was awesome. And each of them pretty unique. Uh, granted, they all had Terminators with Storm Shields in some form or fashion, but uh, other than that, transports and their supporting units were always unique. Oh yeah, a whole lot of uh, fire drakes in there. That was a fun day. Yeah, uh, Robbie didn't bring fire drakes. He brought regular cataphracty, and just as regular cataphracty did so much work that I was like, "Am I ready to take on fire drakes?" I don't. I don't think so, man. Yeah, imagine those. Just weapon skill five and two wounds each. Yeah, it is. It, they were no joke. They tied down my Arl attacks, um, and we eventually got them, but it took, like, till turn four or five before we finally cleared them all out. And they were brutal, dude, the entire time. Uh, we'll go... Okay, we're getting off track. Uh, I want to kind of keep this concise, or, or concise in our flow. So we'll go back to awesome game stuff in a little bit. But, Ryan, what was the narrative of it? Uh, yeah, so the narrative... Um, there's a system, Echo 23, it's the Carthage system. In December, when we played our uh, Winter Heresy event, essentially the traders had been, you know, the traders had initially in this system had worked their Warmaster magic. There were a bunch of, um, you know, spies and all that kind of stuff who had basically talked these noble houses into betraying the Imperium. Right, they didn't. They thought they were doing it for their own purposes to make their planet stronger, but obviously it was a plan of the War Master, right? So all the 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 system revolts against the Imperium, not understanding that the War Master had declared against the Imperium, and then a bunch of loyalist forces come back to uh, instill compliance again, and then uh, the traitor legions spring their trap. So at the end of the December event. Um, the traders had a really strong start in the first two rounds, but in the third round, they had actually lost all of the territory except for one, because um, it was we did planetary empires. So at one point, they had almost all the territory. Then by the last last round, they were down to one tile. Uh, they had lost all of their tiles in the the second round, um, and that was the planetary capital uh, called Carcadon. So the narrative that uh, we established for this event was that uh, essentially the traitor forces were being besieged. They were surrounded in the city of Carcadon. Um, there was loyalist for forces that had been entrenched on the outside of the city and had uh, begun a protracted siege of the city. And then um, during that siege, all sorts of reports of you know, human sacrifice, uh, killing civilians, burning, maiming, you name it. Uh, we're going on along picket lines and everything like that. So that's kind of the setting. You have this uh, capital city that was once beautiful, now completely besieged. It's a charnel house. Um, and the loyalists are trying to get in to obviously wipe out the remaining traitors and save whatever civilians they can. Yeah, that is... Uh pretty good narrative man i love the fact that you guys took your previous event rolled it in that's how you know campaign narrative should continue i love it um 
but man, those loyalists fought really hard to secure everything but the city. And I love the fact that the traitors actually, it seems like what an army would do is they would fall back to a capital and just try to secure it for as long as they could. And um, you want to go into the narrative of what happened during this event now? Yeah, so in the first round of the event, it was essentially, you know, assault the breach type scenario. Um, so, re- you know, representing the loyalists mustering their forces, breaking into the city, um, and starting to assault the traitor lines. Um, and, and I mean, that, that really sets the narrative. But, as you know, as they approach in, they notice that there's a lot of dead people. There's a lot of... Uh, you know, most of the civilians are dead. There's these random um, numeric and heck, like, you know, random symbols everywhere. They don't really know what it means. They continue to push on. Um, but clearly some witchy poo stuff is happening. Um, and that's kind of the first round. Uh, I would have to pull up the event pack to, to remember specifics. Yeah. Um, for the mission type, it was pretty good. You had uh, crates on the ground that would offer these perks to us. Um, and what what was the, the first mission, Jason? It's the one where you place one objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone. Or you place one objective marker in your deployment zone, and they place their objective marker in their deployment zone, and then you have to get to it. Yeah, something like that. I mean, uh, I, for, I forget the name of it, but yeah, that was the, the mission idea. Yeah, very uh, very close, yeah. So let's go ahead then. We're going to break off from the narrative aspect. We'll pick it up. Jason, tell us about your first game then. All right. So uh, first off, uh, my partner for the day was a uh, bro named Zach, who was a perfect match for my Thousand Sons. Uh, He has a Spire Guard-themed cult and militia army list. And uh, that dude has put some work into them. He's got a very lovely uh, ivory color scheme going for their armor. Uh, both on the troops and on the uh, vehicles. And he's got a a lot of nice splashes of that deep, like, arterial red to... uh, Yeah, they look really good. And he's got, like, some pretty good conversions going on on the entire army. Yeah, he does. He's got um, a basilisk with a bunch of uh, empty shell casings tossed next to it, which look pretty awesome. Uh, Oh, Yeah, the basilisk in itself looked like a tiny diorama, or diorama. Yeah. Yeah. They had like all that barbed wire and the shell casings. A couple of dudes like hefting shells in there. Looked great, but uh, no, the fact that they were actual nine mil shells. Yeah, nine I mil. chuckled when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Jason, you're uh, muted or something? Oh, sorry, uh, blanked out there for a second. Uh, another really clever idea he has. Uh, he actually uses one of those uh, Valkyrie landers for an Arvis lighter, and. I didn't think I would like the look of it because a Valkyrie is a pretty, I don't want to say firmly 40k model, but I've never seen them outside of that. But it looked really good. Uh, He had it done in that same like ivory and metallic color scheme with a bunch of the uh, Thousand Suns, uh, Suns, you know, the uh, solar emblems on it. And it looked great. Same deal. But yeah, uh, anywho, first game was against uh, two other Richmond 30k guys, uh, Pat and Austin playing Sons of Horus and uh, His Majesty's gl- Most Glorious 24th Urbensis Militia, respectively. And uh, that went pretty well. Um, Austin is an excellent militia player, but trying to get militia to move speedily into a deployment zone 
to grab an objective does not typically go so hot. On the other hand, my thousand sons are essentially world eaters painted the wrong color. So it was a lot easier for us to drop a Dreadclaw uh, full of those Pavoni veterans I'm such a big fan of uh, straight on top of it and kind of play keep away for most of the turn, uh, most of the game. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Pat was doing a pretty good job, kind of did the same thing on our end of the board. He dropped a Dreadclaw with a uh, five Justerin right out on top of it. So I had to turn around my entire assault squad halfway across the board because as great as the artillery and tanks are in uh, Zach's fire guard, they're not so terrific for facing down Justerin. So... Pat's just there and plowed through one of his tanks and a unit of infantry and was not going so hot over on that side of the board. So I had to turn around and come back, help him out. Uh, pointed the biomancied up Praetor and the uh, single magic robot I took. Pointed them that way. Got those just Aaron sorted out by, I think, the bottom of turn four. And uh, we parked a unit of infantry on top of the crate. Now, I know you said earlier those crates offered fun bonuses, but I swear everyone I stepped on just screwed me and Zach. That's fun, though, right? Like, if it blows up, that's what's fun about it. Yeah, I mean, it's fun for someone, right? It's definitely fun for me as I watch by, walk by and observe what's going on. Exactly. You didn't say it was a bonus for the players. I mean, by that point, you're probably tired of most of the players complaining anyway, so that's a bonus for you. It's good stuff. But uh, yeah, so that crate was a fun little gravitational anomaly inside of six inches and a little bubble there. So not only did everything in there have to take a strength check or take a wound at the bottom of every movement phase, uh, they also moved, ran, and charged two inches less than uh, than they would oh, normally. That's a huge gravitational pull then, yeah. So it wasn't too rough for me. I had to deal with it for a single turn before I jump packed out of there with the assault squad that turned it on in the first place. But I felt bad for Zach because he had to stash an entire unit of uh, 20 infantry on top of it. One, to try and hold it. But two, because the poor dudes were only moving like four inches a turn. So he had to uh, hunker down and hang on to it. But really, that's what humans do best is uh, hunker down, hang on to uh, objectives, and hope they don't get run off by a start Yeah. Uh, so big upside of that game, when I broke my uh, Praetor off to go after Pat's Jesteran, I thought to myself, mm, this, uh, these remaining like eight, nine Assault Squad dudes, they should be able to just clean up some of Austin's infantry to keep them you know, away from the objective. So I keep doing this, and I kick myself every time I do it, and then I immediately forget. In the last event I played with Austin, I charged a pack of Thalax into a unit of 20 infantry of Austin's guys. So Austin loves the Alchem Jackers province, which has an amazingly underrated deal, which uh, they have a better version of Stubborn. It straight up ignores any negatives to their leadership in the assault phase. So, like, when big, scary Primarch uh, Conrad Kurz comes around and it's, like, negative whatever leadership to fear checks with everybody within 12 inches, they just don't care. Also, you can kill 19 of them, but that one last dude on Leadership 7 is still taking his Leadership 7 check. Dang, man. I had no idea that's what Alchems did. Oh, yeah, it's great. Also, better yet, uh, if they get... Uh, shot at and they lose 25% casualties and fail that check, 
they are pinned instead of falling back. So to get them off an objective, you can't just shoot them because they'll just, you know, drop to the ground and hang out there until the heat death of the universe. Wow. But anywho, getting a little uh, diverted there. But I did this before the exact same thing with Thalax. Maybe more embarrassingly, I did it with Thousand Suns this time. I charged a unit of Thousand Suns assault marines in there, just like, you know, the basic 10 guys. I think I had a veteran sergeant with a power axe. And, you know, they kill a decent amount of them, like five or six. Of course, Austin sticks them because they're stubborn. And now I'm stuck in combat. And now I don't get those Hammer of Wrath attacks. And now I don't get the extra attack for charging. So the next turn, I kill like two guys. Austin passes a stubborn check. Turn after that, I don't kill any guys. Austin doesn't kill any guys. But because he has one of those Vexillas, he counts as scoring an extra wound. So a tied combat counts as a win in his favor. So I have to take a check at a negative one, which of course I fail. Shut and up, dude. Are you serious? Swear to God, it happened. The exact same thing happened with a pack of Thalax the last time I played Austin. They got stuck in. They whiffed one turn. So Austin wins on that plus one from uh, a Vexilla. And I failed at stupid leadership eight, nine, whatever that one time. And he, uh, he didn't catch them, but he did like run them off. They were still running at the uh, Dude. end of the yeah, and they're jump pack infantry, so they're moving three d six. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was not one of my brighter moments, but uh, outside of that, went pretty well. Austin and Pat are always great to play. Very cool, man. Yeah, it was fun watch walking by that table. I was obviously I was walking by and watching all the games go on, but. There were a number of um, really interesting matchups where there was a lot of you know either counter drop pod action going on. Um, your that particular game you just mentioned, you had I think three plus flyers between your fire raptor, the Arvis, and there I think there was one more. Yeah, Austin always has two thunderbolts. So there's a lot of uh, interesting dogfights going on. Yeah, which there is was kind of right? the first time I've saw that. Um, heavy use of flyers. So it's not typical of what I normally see. I usually see, you might see one or two at an event. This one, they were out in force yesterday. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing I've seen a lot. Um, I know we shared lists back and forth all the time in some of our group chats, but I always notice people seem, seem to skip on anti-air and then just be like, oh, you know, if the other guy has a flyer, I'll just, you know, wing some last cannons at it or whatever and maybe glance it. I don't know. It won't be a problem. But uh, yeah, same deal I noticed, because we had uh, four flyers in our game, uh, which was uh, Austin's good with those Thunderbolts too, man. He's uh, yeah. gotten really good at dropping them exactly where you don't want them and lining up shots from across the board for those goofy little, uh, what are the little mini Kraken penetrators? They're like kinetic piercers. Yeah, that's what they're called. They're, uh, what is a Strength 6 AP2 armor bane? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, and what I didn't know, they actually are, what is it? it heat seeker i think it makes you re-roll yep. successful jinx so they actually winged a bunch of hull points off my fire after i finished with a single hull point on it and he was missing a turret yeah i mean they're they are um the kinetic piercers are not not that bad you know for militia and the options that they have yeah, it's, and considering it's certainly... i think they're free too for the thunderbolt oh yeah come stock with four of them yeah definitely one of militia's better anti-armor but oh. uh yeah, I mean, there were a lot of good lists, and so in Richmond, we have a huge Leviathan meta. It's like 
the new hotness that everybody needs to have. Some people have three of them, but it feels like almost every Astartes player has one of them at least. But at this event, I didn't see a single Leviathan, I don't think. There is not one. I, I realized that driving home last night. I was like, I did not see a Leviathan. That was very odd. Yeah. It just clicked and dawned on you on that drive home. It did. But uh, that was something Robbie and I mentioned. We were talking to each other, and he's like, yeah, did you see one? I was like, no. I mean, I saw somebody you know, have it in their carry case, but that's that's it. Which is interesting, to have the option to take it, and not. Uh, there was no restrictions on this four-sword chart as far as heavy supports, Ryan, if I remember. Was there? Nope. The only restriction, um, you know, no Lords of War. We weren't playing the 3,000 total. It was 1,500 points per player, so I didn't allow any Lords of War, but otherwise it was unrestricted. Yeah, and uh, oh, to see, like... It was awesome, man. Uh, let's see, for my game, I can't remember the guys. Was it Dan? Was that the Dan was your partner. Yeah, Dan was a Space Wolf player, and uh, our first game was against um, Evan, who is a... Is he a Marylander? He is, yes. Okay, so yeah, Evan, and then uh, Robbie. Uh, so Robbie had his Salamanders, Evan had Mech, uh, Dan had Space Wolves, and I had my Iron Hands. And our first game were set up, and Robbie and I had talked to each other about what our tactics were going to be the entire two-and-a-half-hour drive up. <laughs> so as soon as we found out we were each other's opponents, we were like, ah, shit, all right, I, I know exactly what your ideas are, what your overall game plan is, you know what mine is, so let's just have fun here, right? And uh, we start deploying. Uh, I get uh, Master Tactician, which is a really good one, I think. It's one of the better Legion of Stardust Rites of War. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it, but you get to take a unit either from reserves or on the table and place it somewhere new as if it had just been deployed. But you do this after both sides have deployed. So what Yeah, I, that's handy. That's yeah. real handy. What I did was, for this particular mission, not knowing where the objective was going to be placed, because your opponent places the objective, right? Um, I kept a 15-man tactical squad with an apothecary in reserves, and deployed the rest of my army. I had a lightning with me, so that was obviously in reserves. Um, but I waited for them to put down the token, and then I used Master Tactician to bring that tactical squad in, and I put it right on top of the objective. Luckily enough, the objective they placed was right next to my other tactical squad, so I ended up having, you know, 33 bodies, I think, with the Delegatus, two Apothecaries, and two 15-man tactical squads to hold down that objective and defend it, and uh, they did to the bitter end, man. They, ah, oh, man, it was brutal. So Evan had mech, and I was a fool, and I opened up early with the Arcus that had Castamere Orth in it, and I showed my hand at just how powerful that tank can be in our first turn of shooting when I nuked a Castellax right off the bat and wounded another one, I think, by two wounds or something like that. So... It was a bunch of wounds put out, and they were like, oh, well, now we have to kill that. Because at the start, they were going to be putting all their fire on the Spartan. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. The Spartan's a thing to worry about, sure. But I fucking, oh, I was too good with the Arcus opening salvo, and that just doomed it, man. They sent all their anti-armor after the Arcus. And I had it in ruins, so I was getting cover saves. 
Um, not in ruins area terrain, but I had it blocking line of sight with ruins and that kind of stuff. Um, and man, they, I want to say it took like more than half their army, but finally the Thanatar was able to get a hit on it. And since it's barrage side armor, I wasn't able to get a save and that did it. And then I, uh, disembarked Orth and he was right next to the squad of infantry. So bam, now Orth was with a squad of infantry as well. So... I ended up just having a buttload of infantry out and the Arl attacks and then was waiting for the lightning. But uh, it, what ended up happening was Robbie's Terminators did exactly what he said he was going to do. Uh, he pushed them uh, on our flanks on one side really hard and Dan tried to stop him at every turn he could with all of his space wolves. Uh, and it was just a, a trade-off, right? So Robbie then sent Terminators down my side where all my infantry were. I was doing Fury of the Legions on him. I was dropping Phosphex bombs on him from the lightning when it finally came on. Uh, I nuked his transport when the lightning came on with the Kraken Penetrators. Uh, it was just like a blow-for-blow blow game to where at the very end we tied, and it was exactly how we knew it was going to be where you know, we pushed up and got the objective. They pushed down, got the objective. And I think it all came down to attrition, and they got one extra victory point for that, I think it was. Um, at one point, I got to the crate, and I already had a tactical squad on it, and they already had an apothecary. And when I opened up the crate, it made my feel-no-pain one better. So that was pretty good little perk for being Iron Hands. I'm already pretty resilient against shooting, and now having a four-up feel no pain. I was pretty unmoving until uh, Castellax and a fucking Arl attacks came and started face-punching all my tiny men. They just couldn't, you know, stand against that. But uh, it was a great game. Both opponents were really cool, and uh, I had a blast. It was a great opening game, for sure. Yeah, I was watching that uh, go down. It was very interesting to see, because um, Evan's mech, that's the first time he's fielded uh, his dark mechanicum, and I think he play- he ended up playing mech later on. But there, and you had your arl attacks. He had an arl attacks. Um, there was a lot of good back and forth watching that go down. Yeah, and considering we were playing like a very resilient uh, cybernetica list and a very resilient terminator list, it was really like a blow for blow. We only lost by one point. It wasn't like a sweep or anything like that. And it really was by the end of it. Robbie only had a single five-man tactical support squad on the objective, and that's what won. And all we had was, I think, Gray Slayers on their objective, and that's what won us, you know? Nobody was controlling the middle objective in the end, and there was just units destroyed everywhere. Yeah. What was it? Oh, Evan uh, got some Gray Slayers to surround him from the Spartan. They charged out, and it was like a full... I think the Gray Slayers are their tactical marines for... Uh, or tactical equivalent uh, for the Space Wolves. But uh, the Gray Slayers, or whatever they're called, came out, and they did like a semicircle around the uh, uh, Thanatar. And then he tried to detonate the Thanatar, because I had no idea that was an, uh, a thing you could do where I guess you can make it go Malefica or something like that, Ryan, and then it self-destructs? Well, you can you can um, try to blow it up, right? So uh, basically, if you're successful in that, if I remember correctly, um, you basically set a small or large blast template over the model you're blowing up, um, and then it does a wound, something like it's, uh, I believe it's strength and it's armor value. It'll do a wound to all the models that it touches. So, like the Arl yeah. attacks would be a strength six AP three type wound. But uh, if you try to do that and you fail, then it automatically goes Malefica. That's uh, it. okay. Yep. Yeah. So it's a it's a one of those things that doesn't get used a whole lot. 
but it's no. interesting. They, but it was he like actually the, used a couple of the cyber perfect thergies. bait, man. Like, yeah. I, I was really impressed with Evan's use of cyber thergy. He was using stuff that I'd never seen. Like, yeah, he did, of course, the ripple fire one where it allows a unit to fire twice or stuff like that. But he then went off to do stuff like I had never seen. We'll, we'll probably talk about that in later games, Ryan, where uh, yep. he was, like, trying to, like, what was it? It's basically like Psychic Shriek or something like that, but in Cyberthurgy. Yep. So all kinds of things I'd never seen people do because I think most of the time they just go for like the, the standard like double fire your Thanatar or something. Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting to see. But super great game to start with. Uh, Evan's a cool guy. We we know him from the chat and I met him. And uh, he asked if he could play against my Custodes as the first time in Nova. That was his first game against Custodes, and I was running Centurion Custodes. And, uh, yeah, I think it was, I, I mean, obviously I left a good reputation as Matthew's like, hey, man, what's up? So it was cool. And uh, it was good playing with him again, not seeing him since Nova. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, all right, so that was our game ones. Uh, I lost my first game. And, Jason, did you guys win or lose your first game? Uh, we won that one. And you guys were traitors, is that right? We were. Of course, okay. Now, why I ask it, because we know winning doesn't matter, but it does matter for the narrative event. So, Ryan, uh, what happened in the overall narrative event after round one? Uh, So, round one saw the uh, traders off to a pretty handy lead by about 10 victory points. Yeah, uh, it seemed like a a little lead that loyalists were like, yeah, we could probably come back from this for sure. Yeah, um, but they definitely did take the lead. on the first round. And then I guess that leads into the second round. So the second round, uh, we start seeing that the, as the loyalists are pushing forward, they're meeting what seems like token resistance, um, from the traders. So the traders are putting up some sort of resistance as they move, you know, into the different city centers and everything. But the, some of the loyalists, uh, generals and, you know, sergeants on the ground can feel that it's they're not putting their full heart into the resistance. And they seem to be doing a lot of feigning maneuvers. Um, and so this mission, you know, when we started mission two, uh, it was a search and destroy mission uh, and shatter strike. So shatter strike was the uh, table quarters. And... Uh, yeah, so, and again, I use the crates. So in the first two missions, I used the crates, which, you know, would be at the center of the table. It's a tertiary objective that you can score points off of, but they all have some sort of thing that happens. It's, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Um, and this one, there's really not much else to it. Uh, you know, I paired everybody off, and sent them on their way yeah um now before we continue we're going to go ahead and pause for a minute and uh take a break and then we'll be right back and we'll get into jason and i's uh game recaps All right, guys, we're back, and uh, Jason's going to go ahead and pick up and talk about his game, too. All right, so this one is a little bit more uh, closer to home with those six basic missions out of the back of the AOD rulebook. Very similar to Shatter Strike, uh, you are trying to get scoring units and denial units into your opponent's deployment zone for two and one victory points, respectively. 
And uh, there was another fun bonus crate in the middle of the board, which I handily avoided this time. Uh, our opponent stepped on it. It didn't really do much of anything. But uh, fortunately, uh, since nobody was claiming it, that one ended up uh, a victory to me and my buddy Zach for, by a single victory point. So that was a lot more skin of the teeth than our first mission. Oh, oh uh, really? Oh, yeah. It, uh, it actually ended up uh, 6-5 in our oh, favor. Man. And uh, that, uh, yeah, that one was uh, a little tougher. A lot tougher, because uh, we were stacked up against Custodes and Salamanders. Uh, Custodes, gentlemen, was using one of those uh, railgun tanks, uh, a Telamon with two different uh, weapons on it. Um, yeah, I noticed both were different range weapons, too. Yeah, uh, he had... Shoot, I forget what they're called. I admit, you could make up stuff about Custodes, and I wouldn't it's know. It's called the uh, uh, Star Pattern uh, Vigil uh, Cannon, and then the Orion Gauntlet uh, Bolter Cannon. I'll take your word for it. Yep, that's it, 100%. But he had one of each, so that was kind of a pain in the ass. Um, I did get to test my theory of whether or not a biomancied up Praetor can stand toe-to-toe with a nasty custodian character, and he did, and it went pretty well. Uh, let's see. I held off most of the custodies over on the right flank. Uh, Zach rolled up the salamanders pretty well. Very uh, fortunately for both of us, he managed to uh, immobilize that big scary Spartan full of fire drakes that every salamanders player seems to have sitting around. Uh, stuck it in their deployment zone, so they had to pile out and walk. And oh, solid move, man! Yeah, that's the best uh, thing you can do against uh, uh, fire drakes is make them walk. Uh, they do not like it at all. Uh, but that came down to most of their guys were walking. And Zach and I had a lot of vehicles going on, so the very last turn of the game uh, was a dead sprint for pretty much everyone on our side into their deployment zone. Uh, we ended up with, let's see, uh, three vehicles and, let's see, a librarian of mine and that veteran tactical squad for six victory points to their five. And I think they had, let's see, they got Slay the Warlord, Attrition, and a Custodes unit over in ours. So uh, all in all, yeah, a lot closer, and I was really happy. I got to uh, test that theory successfully of whether or not I could just, you know, out-combat Custodes. Yeah, so, I know you'd been asking me. You're like, Will, when are you going to get yours painted, man? I want to, we need to throw down. We need to throw down as soon as you're ready. I am still looking forward to that. Uh, we have never had a bad game, so I look yeah. forward to playing both Custodes. Oh, no, custodians. you have got to fight. No, I think... I ended up goofing around, and we didn't get to do a character off with your mech, right? I ended up going after some Thalax or something like that, and I completely ignored your uh, That your was the game that you opened up on my Magos, and he managed to roll, like, three ones for an armor save in that opening salvo. Oh, you're right. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah then he just got picked off before he ever got into combat, so yeah. that was it. That was that was ridiculous. That I think that was the first time that ever happened. The worst rules yeah. you've ever made. Yeah, it's a it's a good possibility. It's definitely in the top or bottom three in this case. But uh, yeah, outside of that, uh, not a whole lot out of the ordinary. Uh, that was basically just because we had a lot more mobility in the uh, tanks that Zach had and the 
little dreadclaw-bound posse of tactical veterans, which are also scoring, in addition to being a Brotherhood of Psychers, and pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, down to mobility. I keep telling people, custodies are scary, but also they're real slow. They don't have any reliable access to assault transports, and I kind of feel like I keep proving that theory, you know? Because that's definitely what uh, caused a big problem for this dude. He could not manage to six-inch move and run enough uh, his two remaining custodies units fast enough. He could only get one of them into our deployment zone to score. Yeah, that is a problem for my uh, Centurions. That's why I was still playing the Centurion-style game, or Centurion custode list, because it's it's a great... Uh, uh, handicap for the army is to not bring any sort of transport just have to walk everywhere i mean they still only get six inches 12 inches if they get a super good run but guess what they're not doing after that super good run now they're not charging two the internet at large keeps telling me assault marines are bad so i don't know i must be doing something wrong they seem yeah. to work out well. uh <laughs> I, I guess maybe you're uh it's got to be the psychic powers, you think, really? I mean, the Praetor's nice. Uh, I'm not used to using him as my warlord, though. I uh, did not find myself any more uh, cautious about tossing him in the stuff just to see what he'd do. But I did find that I lost uh, a point for Slay the Warlord every so often. Oh, right, yeah. Plus, uh, what was it? I uh, also had... The Delegata, so he kept getting punked around the entire game. Uh, well, not the second game. He hid like a coward and lived. But the two Sometimes. games I got him into combat, he just fucking ate shit. I don't know, it's almost like they're trying to push you to make, like, big giant characters to, you know, forge some sort of narrative. I guess, right? I don't know. It's weird. Um, but, uh, let's see, for my game, it was pretty good. Uh, we had, oh shit, Ryan, help me. Uh, what were their names? Uh, Ben and Sean. Ben and Sean. That was the, uh, Thousand Suns player with the Kind Shield, uh, was Ben. And then Sean was, uh, Mechanicum player. And he ran a list kind of similar to, uh, what yours was going to be, Ryan, where he's got a lot of, um, cyborgs and, like, what you typically run, Jason, which, uh, is a really fun list to play against because it's, it's, I mean... It's good list. The whole jump, shoot, jump is awesome. But it doesn't feel like a daunting task. Like, I guess if you're facing five Castellacs and you're like, I can't do anything against them with my bolters. You're like, oh, well, I did get, you know, at least one wound on a Thalax. So, I don't know. I like fighting Thalax. They're cool. And they're actually really good. Um, I say actually as if people don't know they're good. I don't know. I see them pl use plenty. I don't know. I have heard the argument. Uh, a lot of folks online don't seem to like them. I think because they don't compare to Castellax, if you don't think about it too hard, they're a lot more versatile. But uh, I think people don't like them in the sense that you can't just kind of push them forward and throw them at an Astartes unit and expect it to fall over. Yeah, I, I feel uh, you can expect to um, mire them down, though. And I think people are generally underwhelmed with their shooting. You know, a couple lightning guns in a squad doesn't put out probably the volume of shots that most people find pleasing. But I think their tactical flexibility makes up for that. Yeah, excellent for games where objective scoring is key. Jump, shoot, jump is 
amazing. Yeah, I think the biggest part of them is they're scoring and they've got those jetpacks, so they're plenty mobile and they never seem to die. It seems to take way more firepower dedicated to them would think it would so uh we'll go over real quick uh my game too then uh deployment was pretty good i used uh uh what was the uh the leadership the uh, i'm sorry the uh the tactical prowess thing the warlord trade i had where i kept the arcus in reserve this time that way they couldn't because he had uh sean had a what, what is the venator jason ryan that the mech get i forget what it's uh, called but it's a venator uh, Krios Venator. That's it. Okay, so he had one of those. They placed it down, and it was center table. It had, except for the giant church that we had in the middle that was blocking line of sight, or I'm sorry, cathedral, uh, it had good line of sight and avenues of fire on pretty much the whole table. Where So I was worried that my Arcus was going to get hit, so I waited until they deployed uh, their armor units first, and then I put mine down. By the way, really, guys, I think that Warlord trait for the way I play Iron Hands now. Uh, I used to love Child of Terra because I was real melee-heavy Iron Hands, but trying to utilize their strengths of being super stubborn against shooting and or super strong against shooting, that's probably my new favorite Warlord trait after this event. Absolutely. Uh, so I put the Arcus down, and uh, on the left-hand side, I got the Arlatex on the right-hand side, and those are my two uh, flank cover units. Uh, and then in the middle, I put tacticals down, and the uh, Dan threw his wolves right in the middle, and then he put some fast move and stuff like uh, Rhino that scouts, and uh, what are the little javelin speeders over there with my Arlo yep. attacks? So that was a yep. little combat unit that was moving up by itself. Uh, and then we had tactical, my tacticals in the middle of the board moving through the uh, church, and then the uh, along with the the uh, space wolves in the middle and their transports. So it was a pretty good center push line is what we had. And, uh, man, uh, I took a bunch of fire. Uh, he had the Myrmidon destroyers. Is that what they're called? The ones with the, uh, Volkites, the heavy Volkites. Uh, he had four of those and, uh, they caused 16 wounds on my 15 man tactical squad, their first volley. And even with my three up armor and feel no pain you're gonna fail some so i failed like four right off the bat uh was taking checks to begin with but it was in my deployment stubborn it was great uh arlatex moves up on the right he outflanks vorax arlatex turns around guns them down with the assistance of some gray slayers we kill all the vorax before i even have to charge so then i just charge in and killed his domine or whatever uh, uh, yeah, Magos Dominus. Yeah, so I killed the Dominus with the Arlatex. Then some damn Thousand Sons Weapon Masters, or not Weapon Masters, the uh, Marksmen outflanked me, and just poor Arlatex was gunned down by Bolter Fire with Shred, man. It was, it was not the way to go. Such a hero to kill all those Vorax to then just be gunned down by little tiny veterans. Uh, what was great was he had a bunch of Sekhmet, and he chose to deploy or deep strike a lot of the segment, at least half. The segment that were on the table, I started using the uh, Arcus Ripple Fire on them. And I tell you what, that Strength 8 AP2, even with their 3-up invuls, if they fail one, it's going to instant death them. So that was the best anti-segment tank I've ever used. and Anti-Elite Terminator I've ever used. Uh, it was taken out segment left and right. And then I ended up 
finally it was just as Praetor left. I got six hits on him, or six wounds on him, and all he had to do was fail one. I was going to instant death him, and uh, yeah, totally did. And that was how I got to Slay the Warlord on him. Uh, this particular game, I just kept moving up, getting into their deployment zone, and as Iron Hands, we have stand and fight. So I was getting like one-inch runs or failing leadership, so I couldn't run. And I barely got one model in their deployment zone, and uh, it was rough. Uh, one of my tactical squads went up against five Thalax. And the Thalax were, I want to say, three inches away, and Sean failed a two-inch or three-inch charge. He rolled a two, and he needed a three. And uh, that was it, man. After that, the wolves got out of the Spartan and just chopped through the remaining mech. And uh, it was a good game. Very close. Uh, Lightning came in, took out the uh, Krios Venator, dropped a Phosphex bomb on some uh, Sekhmet, and... In the end, uh, we won, but it wasn't like a huge sweeping victory or anything like that. It was a good game. I think it was like 9-6. to six. Yeah, that was a really fun one to watch. I was uh, there watching your tactical squad getting gunned down a little bit right before he was about to throw those Thalax in, and he basically shot himself out of assault range. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Because yeah. he was like, he was like uh, uh, I don't want to shoot myself out of assault range. He's like, but I'm gonna, I want to soften him up before I get in there. And... Wouldn't you know it, man? If he'd have just left that one dude in there, that'd have been that one inch, and he could have got it in. Yeah, but it was an awesome game. And uh, Sean and Ben were super cool dudes. They were probably all the opponents were awesome, but the fact that Sean was also an Iron Hand player, so we were just circle jerk and Iron Hand the whole day, like while while we were playing. You know what I mean? And uh, that was a lot of fun, just going back and forth with those guys. But uh, I so, thought it was fun for you. Yeah, it was super fun for me. I had a lot of fun. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, so at the end of that, how did that play out for the uh, factions, Ryan? Well, uh, surprisingly or not surprisingly, the traders maintained their lead. So at the end of the second round, they went from a 10-point lead to a 30-point lead. Um, yeah. Traders were just... There were some really high-scoring games uh, that I was not expecting. In fact, that second round, Green Machine, which was uh, Robbie and Evan, they scored like 15 BPs, which was uh, well and away the highest score for that round. Yeah. Um, but yeah, finishing out that round, so that kind of sets the stage for the final showdown. Uh, which was round three. So in this, because, you know, it's kind of obvious as you're progressing through the narrative that the traders have something in mind. So what ends up happening um, is that it turns out this whole time, while the, the loyalists have been slogging through the streets of Karkadon, um, trying to eliminate all these traders, that the traders have in fact been trying to uh, summon or establish uh, warp gates to the Imperium. So in this last mission, all of the traders were forced to deploy in the ambush scenario as the defender. So every trader team was in the center of the table. Um, they had a single objective in the middle of the table that uh, was the warp gate. And each side, uh, loyalists had three different ways that they could s close a gate if it was opened. And uh, the traders had a couple ways that they could open the gate. And I had designed this mission essentially so that um, the gate could be opened or closed as many times as the game allowed. Um, and each time it opened or closed, it scored 10 victory points. 
um, but it's not so so easy to to do that. Um, there are some no, limitations on the traders. What had to happen? It was really cool. Yeah, so I'll run through that really quick. Um, on the loyalist side, the loyalists had three ways that they could close down a warp gate. The first one was a noble sacrifice. So if they were if they had an independent character that was able to move into base contact with the warp gate, it had to be uncontested. So it couldn't be surrounded by traitors or anything like that. Um, they could take this independent character, could take a leadership test uh, plus two to whatever the result was, and if they were successful, you would immediately remove that model from play. Um, if it was your warlord, you would sacrifice your. You would basically give up. Slay the Warlord. Um, but that hero has sent themselves into the warp gate, presumably to their death, but in the process of doing that, they shut it down. Um, if they failed that, then they would just suffer a wound of no types. Like, you couldn't take a save against that wound. So if your independent character only had one wound left and they tried to shut this thing down, they would just freaking die. No feel, no pains, no involves. Um, a second way for them to do it would be a psychic battle. So if you if you were a loyalist player that had a friendly psyker, then you could attempt to shut it down with their mind by taking a leadership and adding plus two to the result. And if they did that, uh, they could shut the gate down. If they failed it, they would suffer a wound. And then um, if they rolled an 11 plus after it's modified, they would suffer a perils of the warp attack. So that was pretty cool. Let's the psych those the brought psychers. It gives them a, another way to to play. And then obviously they have a chance to just blow it up. So if you got yeah. into base contact, yeah, if you're one of those thing, brutes, yeah, yeah. Um, it, but basically, I said, uh, um, hey, this thing has AV12. It's got eight hull points. It's invincible behemoth, right? So you have to actually do eight hull points. And you have to do it in close combat. Um, Wait, did you just say Behemoth? Yes. Is it pronounced Behemoth? I thought it was Behemoth. Behemoth, Behemoth. Oh, I don't, man. I don't, I don't word well. Oh, okay? man. Leave me alone. Oh, man. Anyway, Will. So that was how the uh, Loyalists could shut it down. The traders had two ways they could open it up. And um, I had to make a modification to this because there was one particular table that one of these, like they literally could not achieve these um, based on what they had on the table. So one was called rack up the tally. Um, so traders could not try, you know, they were summoned right next to this gate or they're, they're right next to this gate. Cause they set up as ambush. They were not a, able to try to open the gate until turn two. So even if they met these criteria in turn one, they wouldn't have the opportunity to score vic 10 victory points on turn one. Um, the first one was rally up the tally. So, or rack up the tally. So basically, this was a continuous count throughout the game. The, every model, every wound, well, really it, it came down to every wound and every hull point added to this tally. Once the there were at 100, uh, the number 100 from the wounds and everything, then they could attempt to open the gate on a 6+. Plus. Um, and then for every 25 wounds, it got better by one point. So if you had 125 models or wounds done overall in that game, you could open on a 5+. Plus. 150 models was a 4+. Plus. Um, and then the only other way that a trader could open it was with their mind. So if they had a psyker, 
then they could essentially do this, try to do the same thing that the loyalist psychic could do, which would be to open it up with their mind. Um, and yeah, and the other cool thing that I said for this was uh, this uh, rule called the Maw of Madness. So every time the gate was opened or closed, uh, every friend, every unit, friend or foe within 24 inches of the warp gate immediately took a blind test, uh, and any unit that failed that test was immediately pinned in the addition of being blinded. So that was a cool yep. little effect that I think probably uh, made for some thematic portions of the day or of that particular round. Yeah, that uh, blind thing did end up biting me and the Space Wolf, Dan, eh, in the bottom at the very last round. Good. I'm glad it worked. Yeah, um, was pretty rough. Uh, man, let's get into it. Jason. How was your game as the defender, or I guess as the traitors? Well, uh, we had a pretty unique time of it. Uh, Ryan, were there any players besides uh, Thousand Sons that had psychers? Oh, let me think. Um, not to my knowledge, no. I didn't think so. It was just, what, uh, us two Thousand Sons players? Yeah, so originally I knew there was going to be a word bearers player. Uh, that would have been Steve, but he ha- he couldn't show. Yeah, let's and everybody then... um, talk about how shitty Steve was, by the way. <laughs> yeah, didn't show, and he was supposed originally. to be on the cast tonight, and he didn't show there either. He was originally supposed to be my partner. Uh, we had this whole hilarious idea for uh, what we called Operation Red Dawn which was going to be a drop pod assault list of Thousand Sons and Word Bearers. It was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I yeah, was, I was actually, expecting it. It was going to be awesome. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that, especially you guys had come up with that idea after I had already written that mission. And I was like, oh my god, if, if you guys can drop in with all your psychic shenanigans onto this warp gate, that would just be freaking awesome. So I was really looking forward to it, but I'm sure you had a good time having psychers, uh, you know, in that mission i did feel a little spoiled um i know we were talking to uh rob after the game and he was saying like no man we kept trying to open it and we just couldn't get it to happen like we tried six turns in a row and it just wouldn't wouldn't crank open and uh i was like oh no that's interesting uh we actually forgot about it until like the bottom of turn four and then i was like oh let me try and pop this bad boy open and first psychic test it uh snapped open uh, blinded and pinned a couple of salamanders and uh, racked up 10 victory points for us, so can't complain. But uh, yeah, brief rundown of our game uh, was against the two, uh, let's see, uh, was Chris and Brad, which were uh, Imperial Fists and uh, Salamanders. And these guys were probably the most fun pair of bros we hung out with the entire night. Um, it was uh, pretty entertaining. Uh, Chris had a Imperial Fists army that was just solid breachers, uh, led by Alexis Pollux and a squad of Cataphracty Terminators with Storm Shields uh, over on our left flank. And uh, Brad was coming in the other direction with a whole bunch of Salamanders, had a couple of uh, tactical squads, a Contemptor Dreadnought, and most of his 1,500 points was in a very attractively painted uh, Castus Assault Ram that had uh, his Praetor, uh, Primus Medicae, and about, I think, seven Fire Drakes? Seven, eight Fire Drakes? So, uh, very first turn, 
we uh, kind of we were set up in that same church, uh, excuse me, cathedral. Uh, I think Will was playing on the game before. And so we set up in there. They set up surrounding us. And very first turn, uh, Zach goes left with his militia. I go right with uh, my assault squad. And uh, I pounce on salamanders uh, with between the assault squad and my magic robot and knock down most of his tactical squads. And uh, Zach goes to the left with his militia and gets stuck in with Imperial Breachers, where he will remain for the rest of the game. Uh, turn after that, my Dreadclaw comes in with my uh, Weapon Master veterans, and they start carving their way through Breachers over to Pollux, where eventually I was kind of proud of them. They did manage to, uh, my veteran sergeant killed Pollux in a challenge. Uh, to be fair, though, they did have Iron Arm turned on, and my librarian had cast uh, Enfeeble on Pollux and his squad of Terminator buddies. Uh, let's see. So Brad, uh, gentle gentleman that he is, uh, waited until I killed off one of his tactical squads with the assault squad, my biomancied up crater. And he brings on that Castus and drops the uh, Magnamelta straight in the middle of them. Uh, kills every single one of them except my Praetor and his Apothecary. So it went from about 14 guys down to two, uh, which was entertaining. And I was very fortunate in that I had rolled on the personal command traits, which is uh, something I'd never tried before, but I thought would be kind of cool for this because, you know, my Praetor's supposed to be sort of a infamous uh, anti-hero, uh, challenging bros to duels and whatnot. Think of him like a magicked-up evil blood angel. You yeah, won't be that's far. exactly what I feel like he, he is. Yeah, that's what uh, I try and tell people that I play uh, my Pavoni Thousand Sons like the worst parts of Blood Angels and Emperor's Children kind of put together. So uh, <clears throat> he, uh, between uh, him... And whatever remains of militia Zach had left after all of those breachers and uh, my Weapon Master veterans all piled on the cataphracty as soon as they came out of that casus. And that's where we were pretty much until the end of the game. And like I said, we got to the bottom of the uh, fourth turn and I forgot I hadn't... We basically forgot about the warp gate, you know, in a dead rush to create the biggest clusterfuck of a combat to ever exist like right on top of it in the middle of that giant cathedral and uh that was about between all the militia and everything that was about 60 models in combat all at once so that was pretty entertaining to see if nothing else but uh we managed to crank it open uh my librarian managed that so i was pretty proud of him and uh, by that point, uh, poor Chris, uh, his Imperial Fists had pretty much been knocked out by that point. So uh, he was just hanging out. He had, I think he had one Rhino with a couple of hole points left that he was uh, doodling around and firing a Storm Bolter and stuff. Um, and that's where we ended the game. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Just a big clusterfuck of fighting going on there. And let it never be said that those Fire Drakes can't hold their own against absolutely everything. Yeah, because man, seriously. Uh, managing to kill one or two of them a turn because a uh, Praetor with Iron Arm turned on is strength eight, so he's just high enough to instant death one of them if they fail a save. But uh, Brad was turning out those uh, three-plus saves pretty reliably, so no complaints there. So uh, we'll get into me 
see what happened, right? We played against Shane and uh, Frenchy. I don't know if he goes by Frenchy. Um, he does, yep. Okay, yeah. Uh, but uh, the game was set up. We were the loyalists, they were the traitors. I'm an Iron Hands player. Frenchy was an Imperial's children player. And I had a vendetta to kill his Praetor. Spoiler alert, I didn't. But the vendetta was there, okay? Uh, then we had uh, Shane, who had Karn and... Oh, golly. What's the uh, apothecary's name from Book 6? Jason, do you know? Isn't it uh, Sarlacc? Yes, that's it. Sarlacc. Uh, yeah. Galen so, Sarlacc. Yeah. So he Sarlacc. had Karn and Sarlacc rolling with uh, some inductee. And both of these guys null deployed. So it was supposed to be set up as ambush... But the ambushers ended up getting ambushed, and it was a super fucking fun fight. This was by far my favorite game. So it started out, we're ambush, uh, we set up our units, uh, and I go heavy on one side, Dan goes heavy on the other side. But we each put a little unit over by our friends, like one unit in, in our friend's zone. So I had a tactical squad in his zone, he had a uh, Gray Slayer squad and my, excuse me. And uh, then turn one happens, and they give us first turn. So soon, if that if you roll up a game and somebody says you can take first turn, it's a bad sign. That means that they have plans and and they want you in like perfect spot or whatever, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, we yeah. totally took the bait, man. Uh, we pushed everything hard towards the middle and. We were doing, what is it, because his, his rhinos can scout, uh, Dan's rhinos can scout, and he was going, like, uh, flat out, and he was just getting distance. So turn one, we were on the objective. We, we had it on lock. Set up a cordon. It was ours for sure. Uh, then it was their turn one. They brought in two Charybdis. Is that what the big ones are called? The big yep. uh, battle eggs? Brought those in right next to each other, right on my line, and uh, decided they were going to keep their guys inside. And, you know, why wouldn't they? So, you know, they did some firing on me. They shot at my tacticals. Uh, being Iron Hands, pretty resilient against that. I think I lost one, maybe two guys or whatever. Um, nothing too much. And then I wanted to kill that Praetor. Uh, oh, wait, another thing. Frenchie was running uh, Drop Assault Vanguard, Ryan, which I'd never seen before. So he actually got to bring an Assault Squad down turn one, which was really cool. I, I really have never seen that before. Yeah, him and... Uh, sorry, it was Frenchie and... It was uh, Shane, right? Yeah. They had a really... <laughs> their armies were very similar, and there was some really good... Um, synergy they had going on but yeah i noticed yeah. that he was bringing in assault marines which is really cool and uh frenchy also if a guy could take a spear he gave him a spear even if a paragon blade would have been better i don't know if it was a points thing or what but it was really great to see that he was you know using those special kits that forge worlds put out and uh just making a, a great looking army and uh shane's uh world eaters were nothing other than spectacular i'll say they were amazing and uh considering it's white already like it's white which is in my opinion one of the harder colors to paint i think a lot of people would agree with that but then he's able to add weathering onto this stuff and make those blues beautiful and still they, they just looked amazing man i love them 
Um, yeah, but they come down. Notch. They come down hard, and we are ready. Arcus blows up uh, Karn's pod, so Karn and his boys are sitting there. Uh, the rout get out of their rhino and surround it. They're not going to be able to charge this turn, but I want to get the jump on them. And so I decide I'm going to charge Karn before he charges me, because as they say, it's better to be char- or better to charge than be charged, right? Not in this case, apparently. Not when you're going up against Karn and a bunch of inductee and Serlak cranking them up, like turning the nails on or whatever it is he does, because I charged in with a 15-man tech squad, Apothecary Delegatus, got the charge off, was right there in them, and I was I lost combat. And when I say I lost combat, I don't mean I was swept. I mean, I lost, ev- I lost everything to a man in one round of combat. <laughs> Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. And that just fueled him, because now he's not in combat, and Karn just was like, hey, I remember what the Arcus just did last turn, so I'm going to go handle that. So he starts moving towards the Arcus, and he is, like, he consolidates and then got to move, but failed his charge. And had he not failed that charge, the Arcus would have been dead on turn two, for sure. Um going back with the Emperor's Children. We blow up the Emperor's Children egg, and the Arl attack gets in. But it's a, a tactical squad, so he's not, like... Yeah, he's killing them, but it's not. he's not making points back or anything, and he's not, like... They're, they're not f- afraid of him. He's They've passed their fear check, and they're just crack-grenading him. And he's already down, I think, two wounds by turn two. Uh, so it was already a really bad start for me. As far as objective holding go, I just had one tactical squad left that was in dance deployment zone. I've got the Arcus, the Lightning, and the Arl attacks, and that's all that's remaining. I, like, I couldn't believe how brutal Karn and his guys were in that combat. Well, yeah. Karn is, is on a butcherous rampage now, so the wolves want to stop him before he gets to the Arcus. So the Arcus fires at him. And that was pretty good. I killed six guys. Being strength eight, AP two, it's good against inductee. Uh, but I think for like what they cost, it obviously wasn't effective. Like it, there was other uh, targets I could have been putting that on, but I just wanted to keep them away. The wolves then try to help out and they charge uh, Karn and his guys. He then wipes them and consolidates right next to the Arcus, like an inch away from it. So he is definitely getting the charge this time. Uh, he also, at that point, brings in the Fire Raptor. Excuse me. And I did bring the Sky Spear uh, missiles, just in case somebody brought a flyer. And it turned out to actually work this time. Uh, and by work, I mean failed spectacularly, but at least I got to shoot at something uh, when it came on. So I did intercept. I knew I wouldn't get to ripple fire on intercept, but I also knew I was going to die that turn uh, when he does charge me. So I just went all out, forced their fire raptor to get into a position that was out of my range. He had a 48-inch bubble, so it, it forced him to place it in a, in a position that wasn't going to be too bad. But he was still in range. I ended up, uh, I think I got like a glance on him, but he jinked, saved it, no problem for him. Uh, then in his shooting phase, he powered his machine spirits, was able to fire it, its main gun, like nothing had happened. Uh, Arl attacks goes down, and I'm down to a tactical squad now. After Karn destroys the Arcus, man, it was just brutal. Until the very end, we finally destroyed the gate. And on the last turn that the gate is up, right before it blows up, you had a rule in there that it does this crazy-ass blind thing. 
and all the wolves that were surrounded it that had like pummeled this gate down uh, all became blind and Karn was the only one not in range of the blinds so he starts making a mad dash back towards the wolves and then the world leaders have jump assault infantry coming in Emperor's children have jump assault infantry coming in and it was just an incredible melee like fiasco in the middle there and uh, I think in total at the end it was 150 plus casualties and on the entire table between everybody like it that's was fantastic. amazing yeah. dude yeah yeah but uh, yeah that that's it man it was a great game that was one of the most fun games um, and I guess uh, Frenchie actually does stuff up uh, up north in Pennsylvania I guess he runs events yeah that's right um, they have they call it uh, I think Hawk H A W See, it's the Harrisburg Wargaming Club because uh, they're mostly based out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But they run the Betrayer series up there, um, which they have kind of been deconflicting with us on dates and everything. So they've run a couple events, um, getting a pretty good turnout up there too. So it was good having them down so they could actually play. Yeah, um, Frenchie and I were talking about that. I was like, "Oh, you have a, uh, you know." I said, "Oh, so you're the guy who does that?" Okay. And we made a joke. I said, you know, I don't know if you guys are willing to come down to Richmond. And I don't think Richmond people are too keen to drive all the way up there for a single day event or something like that. And we said, like, the big thing is making sure the Maryland guys don't end up having to choose which event to go to. Right. So we got to start communicating, like, between Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania and VA because we were like, joking and saying that uh, all right well you can have them on the weekends i'll have them on the weekdays like it's a custody <laughs> battle or something like that over maryland yeah so we definitely got to make sure that us three talk and we find out exactly when these dates are going on excuse me and then uh, we don't double book and we don't make it uh, like a hard compromise or, or like a hard choice for people like we can have plenty of events going on every month and uh, let the players decide where they want to go. Don't make them have to choose between, like, which parent they love more. You know, that's not fun. No, it's it's never fun to have to choose which parent you love more. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, overall, it was a stellar event, and I really appreciate you hosting an event. It was really fun to actually play in an event this time. Um, so... I think that was that was the best part for me was not having to worry about hosting or anything. I could just relax and play. No, and I'm I'm very glad that you guys came up. I think, um, like I said earlier, it was really fun. Even though I didn't end up getting to play, it was fun watching the different groups interacting and letting um, letting the metas play out a little bit. But more importantly, just building the community. You know, getting to hang out with other cool dudes that um, share the same passion as us. Yeah, so absolutely. But uh, yeah, man, thank you very much for that. That was super fun. Um, let's go ahead and uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back with plugs. All right, guys, we're back here with uh, plugs. And uh, Ryan, what have you got to plug? Uh, a couple things. Uh, first of all, just a generic shout-out uh, to the Grang Legion guys, Mark Raley, uh, for bringing out a boatload of terrain that we got to use for our event. It's always fantastic to play on all those Forge World tiles and um, you know all the stuff that they've crowdsourced over the years that they use at Adepticon and Nova. Um, it's nice to be able to get it back on the table for some of the smaller events and give people a chance to play on those. 
So I very much appreciate that. Um, Games and stuff for hosting the event. They're out of Glen Burnie, Maryland. A very, uh, they're a veteran-friendly, uh, friendly local game store uh, run by veterans and everything like that. And uh, you know, they provide a lot of good space. You guys had a chance to see it. Yeah, um, I gotta say, man, that's that store was amazing. Yeah, so yeah. It, it the storefront just looked like it was being a regular strip mall, but you go inside and you're like, oh man, this is like this is nice. They had a variety of games, like things like Flames of War, uh, of course, like your big ones, 40K, Infinity, uh, X-Wing, all that stuff. But the big, like other things like Team Yankee, which I feel is still kind of a small player base, they had that. And I was like able to actually see kits in person and that kind of stuff for the first time before buying them. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a great store. Uh, and they're really easy to work with. And they, they support the player community, you know, helping run these events for us. So. Uh, I really appreciate that. And then the only event shout-out that I have for the Maryland 30K group uh, on 30 June um, at the same location, Games and Stuff in Glen Burnie, Maryland, we'll be hosting, uh, this is our buddy Evan, who we mentioned several times throughout this cast, uh, we'll be running a larger uh, event. So it's going to be two games of 3,000 points per player uh, with pretty pretty much unrestricted. I haven't seen his event pack, or it's been a while since I've looked at it, but it's going to be a fairly unrestricted, um, you know, Force Org or event. So if it's a kind of a chance to bring out some of the larger toys, Lords of War, and that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, and you're in the Maryland area on 30 June, then uh, check it out on Maryland 30K Facebook, and we hope to see you out there. Outstanding, yeah. Um, for uh, Richmond, let's see... Uh, of course, my usual thing, Lancaster painting, if you want to watch me paint. Um, and uh, let's see, for May 19, we have the War for D4-3, Battle at the Mouth of Despair. It is a Void Siege game, taking place on an orbital relay over a planet. Uh, this is a mega battle with 3,000 points. You're allowed to use any four-sword chart and any army. So, uh, knights... Or if you want to run a uh, Titan list, you know, you want to bring a couple Warhounds and then a um, Reaver as your Warlord, you can run a, uh, what is that, Leviathan four-sword chart? Yep. Yep, totally welcome for this. We understand it's on a relay, but we know these fucking relays, these orbital relays are gigantic. And this is one of the bigger ones outside the ring, uh, what is it, uh, I think it's near Pluto or something like that. The story may have changed. We'll get back with the uh, with the narrative for it, but uh, it's definitely the biggest uh, orbital relay in the D43 star cluster. So it is going to be an awesome battle, guys. So I hope you come ready. It's going to be a whole day thing. We're going to be starting at 12:30. Is when the dice roll happen, and it doesn't end till the EO says it ends. So probably like eight o'clock. But uh, yeah, so hope to see you there. You guys want to check that out? You can find that on Richmond 30K. Or you can follow the D43 events page. And uh, that page itself will actually post events and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, you can also find them at um, Richmond 30K. So I think that's it. Do you have anything else, Ryan? No, that's it. All right. Well, thank you very much for an awesome event again. And uh, thank you for listening. So have a good night. And bye. Take it easy. Thank you.